Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Life is strange, but life always seems to find a way. This week's episode, some unusual cases of life. Now, life can live inside pipes. It can also tell us a lot of things about our heritage and our ancestry, as it shares a journey of life with us. And some life can even live off things that would practically harm us. This week's Unusual Life Special. I don't mean to alarm you, and hopefully this does not, but there's things out there that every human has, and has had for thousands upon thousands of years, and they're, they're not human, but they share our space with us. They're there when we go to sleep. They're there when we get up in the morning. They're there when we have a shower. They're there when we eat our breakfast. We then will go to school. They're passengers on our journey of life. And they're always with us. But they're not part of us. At least not formally. And it's a universal truth for humans across the world. In different countries. And everyone, without exception, has mites that live on their skin. And these are a, fa- a species such as the face mite species, Demodex foculorum. And they've been with us and evolved with us as a species of humans developed from its very earliest days. Now, Dr. Michelle Trotton from the Californian Academy of Sciences, as recently published in an early edition of the journal Penis, has that the face mites, D. focularum, are actually teeny arachnids that inhabit the hairs in our body and consume our skin cells and oils. There's also mites that exist in our ears, our eyebrows, and our eyelashes, as well as any other area with hair. And these mites are harmless. They are actually totally fine. They're always with us, they're always travelling with us, and they're just part of our lives. But it can be quite shocking to imagine just how long they've been with us. They actually tell us a lot about ancient human history. It's a complex story, and we're only just scratching the surface, as Dr. Trotine says. Because mites, they actually vary geographically. So different scientists have studied a number of different places, and they've sampled mites from over 70 human hosts from around the world. So in some cases, by drawing a curved end of a bobby hind across participants' foreheads, you can sort of collect some. Others use metal laboratory saplers. Others take samples from the cheek and outer nose. And then the DNA from these various mites was sequenced. And basically, what Dr. Michelle Trotine discovered was that different parts of the world play host to different types of mite lineages. So the continent of a person's ancestry originate from actually predicts, right? So if you take the model and then make some predictions based on it, you can actually predict where someone's origin comes from by the type of mite found upon them. Even if you move to a faraway region, your mites, for example, as this study was conducted in the United States, African Americans who've been living in the United States for generation upon generation, hundreds of years, still hosted African mites. And surprisingly, these mites actually aren't shared easily. You can't casually transfer them to somebody else. We seem to share them really only primarily with our family. And so close physical contact is really required or proper genetic um, predisposition to them as well. 
So Dr. Trotwine has been sampling these arthropods, these small mite samples, alongside citizen scientists across seven continents, including journeying to places such as Sweden, the Peruvian Amazon, and houses inside the California Academy of Science in San Francisco's own backyard. And we're continuing to sample them in Australia, Mozambique, China, and, and even Antarctica. And these little arachnids that are living on our face are part and parcel of the human experience. And just remember that whilst you may feel alone at times, you're never really alone because there are microbes and mites, small organisms that share your space with you, your entire journey, and have shared that with your ancestors as well and will with your descendants. And that's not something to be afraid of. It's part of the miracle of life and part of the fact that humans aren't an isolated thing from our environments. We live in and share our environments with many different things. In fact, we've co-evolved with them over time and we'll evolve with them into the future. I worked for many years in the water industry, helping deliver drinking water safely to millions of people, along with taking and disposing of wastewater for those millions of people as well. And the industry works very, very hard to keep everybody safe and keep drinking water in safe levels without any contamination from bacteria or microbes that could be detrimental to people's health. It's a complex challenge. We have water treatment plants. We have dosing stations to help achieve that. And it does actually take a lot to keep that water in a perfect balance. In Australia, in particular, in Melbourne, we have very, very good drinking water. But even with the best system, sometimes outbreaks can occur or water quality incidents. And we deal with those by treating, flushing out the pipes and increasing dosing in those particular areas. Sometimes when you have a large issue, like they had in Sydney in the 90s, late 90s, um, you have to take more substantive measures and, and build new treatment plants to accommodate it. But overall, we're actually quite fortunate in Australia to actually have very high quality drinking water. We always have clean water coming out of our taps. And researchers from Lund University in Sweden have actually found that what we think is actually pure and good water is being purified inside the pipes by millions of good bacteria found in both the water pipes themselves and even at the water treatment plants. So each glass of drinking water actually contains 10 million bacteria. And whilst that sounds alarming, that's actually pretty much as it should be. Clean tap water always contains harmless bacteria. These bacteria and other microbes grow in the drinking water treatment plant and inside the surfaces of the water pipes, and they form a thin, sticky coating called a biofilm. Now this biofilm actually does a lot of things to protect the water quality and keep things in balance. And researchers from Lund University's Applied Microbiology and Water Research Resource Engineering Lab have shown that the diversity of these species in these water pipes is huge. And they're actually playing a larger role than we previously thought. It's in fact its very own ecosystem that would previously been unknown to us. Now, thanks to massive DNA sequencing and flow cytometry, we can see about 80,000 different types of bacteria per milliliter in drinking water. And so instead of stumbling around in the dark, they've actually now got a flashlight so they can actually classify and study these different types of bacteria and what they do. 
and suspected that these biofilms are actually similar in nature to the work that is done by our intestines in purifying the food and water that we digest and actually help us fight illness. So researchers at Lund University are actually conducting now detailed studies on biofilms from across the world, from plumbing taps, water pipes and water treatment plants themselves, to actually get a better handle on this composition of this good bacteria and how it actually helps us and what we can learn from it. So just remember, whilst you may think everything good and natural has to be 100% pure, it's those things, those good bacteria and microbes and biofilms and the like that actually keep us safe and healthy. And that's actually part of the natural cycle. And that's what helps us stay healthy and live to fight for the day. You know, one of the definitions of what is a living thing that we're all comfortable with is that it needs some type of food to survive. Now, even plants, you know, they get their food from sunlight and the air to photosynthesize that into food that they can eat, which is a little bit different from the animals around us and ourselves. We eat actual food, plants themselves or other animals. But what about bacteria? Well, sometimes they eat stuff from cells or they get their strings straight from sugars that they can get their access to or chemicals. But there's a new type of bacteria. So a new type of bacteria discovered at the Ricken Center of Sustainable Resource Science in the University of Tokyo called Bacterium Acidothiobacillus ferrooxidans, or A. ferrooxidans. And for those of you playing along at home, you'll actually know what ferros and ferrous oxide means. That, that suggests metal, and you're right. Just as plants use chlorophyll to photosynthesize and convert energy from light into sugars for growth, these bacteria actually get their energy using chemosynthesis from iron and electricity. They are basically surviving off electrode power source in iron. So when you leave iron out in the environment or the atmosphere, it rusts, it oxidizes. It forms that little layer of that brownish color that we call ferrooxide. And that's because there's a chemical process as it oxidizes, which is a technical chemistry term to suggest that, you know, the, the electrons that are being absorbed from the oxygen to actually form a new compound. But a ferrooxidans actually uses that same process that we see in rusting metal to actually provide them with electrons to fuel their metabolic process. So just like plants use photosynthesis, they're using that same method. And it's opened our eyes to a new type of ecosystem, a third type of ecosystem, the electro-ecosystem. And this is where microbial activity is sustained primarily, not by chemistry or, or chemicals or photosynthesis or organic matter, but from electrons themselves. They call it the electro-ecosystem. And researchers such as Ryuhei Nakamura have actually found not just these ferrooxidans, but also other types of geoelectric bacteria as well. There are some geoelectric currents that form across the black smoked chimneys in hyper hyperdermal vents, which deep sea microbes actually chow down on. And these electric currents that are produced just as the, purely the, the process of those, these large vents, they actually... Uh, provide electrons that these microbes just just eat, like a food source. 
and they rely on that instead of light or other inorganic substances. Now, it's a bit hard to actually get down into a deep-sea volcanic vent, so they've been recreating that inside the lab. And so they did this by culturing a culture of aferoxidants, which was known to be a bacteria that oxidized iron ions. So basically, they put the team, they, the team put these cultured aferoxidant bacteria in a free environment, and they supplied them with some electricity, an electro, electrode with potential of about 0.4 volts, and carbon dioxide as a carbon source, as well as oxygen as an electron acceptor. So they enabled all the things that you need to have a reaction. And then they found that these conditions were pretty much ideal for the aferoxidants. And that by varying the strength of the voltage and how many, they could actually change the number of cells that were attached to the electrode. That when these ferrooxygens were actually absorbing the voltage, they're actually producing an electric current to flow, facilitating the actual flow of electrons, not just eating them. So there's a protein inside the ferrooxygens that actually enables them to perform electrosynthesis. And this is a heme protein, which is the AA3 complex, which is now they've actually isolated to be involved in this electron flow process, this electrosynthesis. And it really opens our eyes to the potential of life to come up with new and interesting ways to have food sources and to find and survive and strive. So it helps us challenge our understanding of what life may look like. Just because some of the life hallmarks of what looks like life here on Earth is one thing, some of these rare and strange bacteria and microbes can help us understand what life may be like elsewhere, help us look for life in new places, both here and across the universe. But there's also an opportunity to use this now and new understanding of electrosynthesis and the electro-ecosystems by developing a new sustainable human ecosystem that uses technology together with actual life forms and ends up with some kind of synthetic electrosynthesis life as well. It helps us understand what else is out there and what else is possible. It just goes to show that even in seemingly boring and inhospitable place like a deep sea underground volcanic vent, life finds a way. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. This is what we found out about microbes that live on our face and share the journey of life with us, plus microbes that live off electricity and even microbes in our pipes helping keep us safe. All this in our unusual life special. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.